Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois And by EasternChristianMedia.com A broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's EasternChristianMedia.com Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya and we're here again with Katie Goulis. So welcome again to Light of the East. And the question today for all of you is, are you a saint? Do you want to become a saint? Ever thought of becoming a saint? You think it's in within reach for you? Have you told your children or asked them what do they want to be when they grow up? Do they want to be a saint? For that is the only real question that ought to be asked of a child. Everything else comes out of that one goal. Today in the Byzantine liturgical calendar is the Sunday of all saints. Now, in their calendar, as in the calendar of the Roman Catholic Church, there is always a saint, or maybe more than one saint, commemorated each day. Now, there's the remembered in the liturgical life of the church, in its divine office, its liturgy, and so on, and in private prayer. And there's usually a little explanation of the life of the saint. For us, it's in a book called the Synaxarian. But the Latin rite has its counterparts as well when it comes to learning about the life of the saint. You know, little tidbits about what made them great, and little meditations. Both East and West have these in their liturgies and their literature. But there are more saints, and fortunately there's going to be more saints, we can certainly count on that or hope for that, than there can be on a calendar. Otherwise you have to pile up so many on every one day. It's only 365 days in a year, and there's at least one saint per day, but there's many, many more saints. Now some saints are those who make the Hall of Fame. In other words, they make the calendar as it were, and we commemorate them. And some of them have even greater feast days, more prominent feast days, like for us, St. Nicholas, or St. Peter and Paul, which is coming up, or St. John the Baptist, in which we have several feast days. But other saints may not be quite as prominent, but nonetheless, they still are saints. So what does the church do? Well, in the Eastern Church, we have a solution. We commemorate them all on one day, and that's what today is, today is called All Saints. Now, Latin Rite has a counterpart, which is actually in November, November 1st, which is one of the reasons why we have Halloween or All Hallows' Eve. It's in preparation for the celebration of All Saints' Day. So both East and West pause in other liturgical calendars to commemorate all those who have been considered to be saints. Some of them we know well, some of them we don't. Some of them are very obscure names or names we may not be familiar with at all. 
unless we read the lives of the saints every day or the Synaxarian in the Byzantine church. But they're saints nonetheless. And there are different categories of saints. In the Eastern church, what we do is we make these categories actually rather clear, and we do so in, once again, in our liturgy. For instance, in the Byzantine liturgy, there is, prior to the beginning of the liturgy, what we call a rite of preparation. This is where the priest, on a table, which is usually off to the side in the sanctuary, used to be centuries ago in a whole separate building. But in our day and age, it's a separate table. looks sort of like an altar. It's usually to the left of the main altar as you're looking at the altar, to the left or to the north. And on that table, the priest and deacon go through a rite of preparation of the gifts prior to the liturgy. And those gifts are then brought around and up, not just up as in the Latin rite, but around and up to the altar, what we call the great entrance. Now, these gifts, of course, are the bread and the wine and a little bit of water, which will become the body and blood of Christ. Now, what the Byzantine priest does is he takes these loaves of bread. Sometimes there's five loaves, sometimes there's one loaf. And in the Eastern churches, most of the Eastern churches, not all, but most of them, such as the Byzantine church, uses a bread that is a leavened bread. So it's like a, a loaf of bread. It's very simple, just flour, water, and yeast. And he cuts it up at the side, this, this side table, sometimes called the side altar. It's a table of preparation, really. And he cuts it up into different particles or pieces. And each one has a commemoration to it. And he places those, each particle, onto the discos. And as he does, he mentions the commemoration. And he does so in this kind of hierarchy of saints, starting, of course, with the Blessed Mother. He puts the particle down and he says, in honor and memory of our Blessed Lady, the Theotokos and ever Virgin Mary, through whose prayers, the Lord, accept this sacrifice upon your heavenly altar. And then he says, the queen stood at your right hand, vested in robes, adorned with gold. And he places the particle on the discos. And that particle is placed, as you're looking at the discos, to the left of another larger particle, the principal particle, or the lamb, or the host. That's the main piece of bread that's cut out of the loaf that will become the body and blood of Christ in the consecration. But to the left of that, the first particle he puts on in the hierarchy of saints, of course, is the Blessed Mother. Then to the right of that piece that's the host, the lamb, would become the body of Christ on the discos. The priest will then put another particle, and he'll mention this. He'll mention the honorable and heavenly angelic powers. Then another particle he'll put on for the prophet, former John, and all the holy prophets. So you see what's happening here? We start with the Blessed Mother, then we go to the angels, then the prophets, and then from there, and each time it's with a different particle of bread that he puts on the discos, from there we go with the great saints such as Peter and Paul, the illustrious apostles as we call them. Then from there we go down to the next level of hierarchy, and that would be the fathers of the church, people like Basil the Great, John Chrysostom. Then from there come the martyrs, especially the first martyr, or Archdeacon Stephen and also the great martyrs Demetrius, George, and Theodore the Recruit. Then from the martyrs, we go to the venerable God-bearing fathers. And those, these are saints who are very holy, but they may not necessarily have died a physical martyrdom. They died what we call white martyrdom or spiritual martyrdom, such as Anthony and Euthemius, who were the founders of monasticism, which is actually a form of martyrdom, a white martyrdom. In other words, it's a bloodless martyrdom. Sometimes they shed blood, but most of the time, monasticism was a bloodless martyrdom. That was a dying to self. Okay, now after the monks, then we have the holy and charitable wonder workers, people like Cosmos and Damien, who were physicians who didn't charge for their work. Isn't that great, Katie? Wouldn't that be neat today? 
And then after that comes the holy and just ancestors of the Blessed Mother, Joachim and Anne, and then in the memory of the, finally, the saint of the day. So there's actually about nine levels of saints, of actually like a kind of a hierarchy of saints. Now, all saints are important, but let's face it, some of them had greater promise than others. And heaven itself works in a hierarchy. There's hierarchies of dominations and principalities and cherubim and seraphim. So too does the church's hierarchy go when it comes to these different saints. Now, another place in liturgy in which we mention this hierarchy comes during the, what we might call the Eucharistic prayer. The Latin rite would know as the Eucharistic prayer. In the Eastern Church, we call it the anaphora. And after the priest does the words of consecration, and then he eventually then calls down the Holy Spirit, in other words, the epiclesis, the changing of the gifts, the bread and wine, into the body and blood of Christ, through the calling down of the Holy Spirit, in addition to, of course, the words of institution, the priest then says this, Moreover, we offer you this spiritual sacrifice for those departing the faith. Now, here comes the hierarchy, the forefathers, fathers, patriarchs, prophets, apostles, preachers, evangelists, martyrs, confessors, ascetics, and for every just spirit brought to perfection in faith, especially for a most holy lady, the most pure mother of God and ever Virgin Mary, and so on. So once again, this hierarchy, these, these stratifications or classifications of saints are mentioned in the liturgy. Also in our liturgy, we of course pray what we believe, and we believe as we pray. And so we mention the hierarchy of saints, and oftentimes their connection or their foreshadowing, such as with the Blessed Mother, in the scriptures. So, Katie, why don't you show us some of the examples of how we pray during this feast of the All Saints in the Byzantine calendar. Come, let us celebrate the memory of the saints and the joy of the Holy Spirit, for the day of their feast has arrived, filling us with divine gifts. With purified conscience, let us cry out with joy and let us sing in their honor. Rejoice, O choir of prophets who announce the coming of Christ and who clearly see that which is far away. Rejoice, O apostles of the Lord, fishermen who gather the whole world in your nets. Rejoice, O company of martyrs, gathered from all the world in the same profession of faith. For this you suffered punishment and tortures before receiving the crown of victory. Rejoice, O multitude of holy fathers. By your ascetic efforts, you subdued the body and put to death the passions of the flesh. You have been carried in spirit on the wings of divine love to heaven, where you enjoy the eternal blessings with the angels whose joy you share. Therefore, O apostles, prophets, and martyrs, together with the ascetics, intercede with the one who crowned you in heaven, and pray unceasingly to him that he may deliver from the enemy all those who with faith and love celebrate your holy memory. Now, you notice lots of rich words there, wasn't there, Katie? (laughs) And speaking of rich imagery, there's another prayer that Katie's going to read to us from the Divine Office of the Byzantine Church for All Saints Day. And that prayer shows you, it depicts rather, the marvelous type and archetypal relationship that the Eastern Church is very, very fond of. In other words, when it comes to the Mother of God, we sort of read back into the Scriptures, especially the Old Testament, and we see all the many images that basically are foreshadowings, or what we call types, of the archetype. See, when you look at the Scriptures, especially the Old Testament, it's really all about Jesus Christ and His Blessed Mother. And all the events and all the people in there are nothing more than foreshadowings of those two. So here's an example that Katie's going to read that is the this sort of what we call allegorical typology is applied to the mother of God. Let us glorify the tabernacle and the heavenly gate, the most holy mountain and the shining cloud, the heavenly ladder and the mystical paradise, the deliverance of Eve and the precious and great treasure of the universe. 
For through her salvation came to the world, and the ancient debt was forgiven. Therefore we cry out to her, Intercede with your Son and God to grant forgiveness of sins to those who bow in true worship to your most holy birth-giving. Well, we're going to talk more about being saints and becoming saints when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya here with Katie Goulis on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Did you know that God constructed women's arms differently than men's? I am Father Thomas Loya with the Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. The axis of a woman's outstretched arms angles inward at the elbow, whereas in men the axis is straighter. This enables women to bring things to themselves easier than men. Everything about a woman's body, her mind, heart, and soul, is designed for connectedness and to bring the world close to her heart. The language of her body says that God is close, tender, and loving. But she also has what John Paul II called a genius. It is her gift of receptivity, stamped in the very design of her body. The Pope said that this makes woman the archetype of the human race because God designed the human race simply to receive his love. To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. TaborLife.org. You're listening to Father Thomas Lawyer on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lay with Katie Goulis, and we're talking about, and Katie, I think we're all in our own way trying to become saints as well, right? That is really our ultimate ambition in life. It seems like it's way out there. You know, that kind of a goal, you think, what, me become a saint? Well, yeah, but the fact that we're baptized, we're all called to sanctity. Ultimately, that's our goal in life. To be saint, remember, is to be a quote-unquote normal human being. In other words, it's to arrive at the level of humanness that God intended us for to have at the beginning. Remember, all human imperfection, all imperfection and tragedy, even especially, above all, death in this life are all foreign intrusions. They were never meant to be. We we're meant to be like Adam and Eve, living wonderfully, happily, perfectly, and passing body and soul intact gently into the next life forever. Well, sin interrupted all that. And now now we struggle to become what Adam and Eve were at the beginning, and what we all will be, hopefully, in the end, in heaven. And that is saints, glorious creatures, made in the image and likeness of God and living that way. That's what it means to be normally human, which means that being a saint has to be the only ambition of every human being. How we do it in the specifics are different walks of life, well, that, of course, is up to everyone and what God calls them to. But no matter what your walk in life is, no matter what your profession or what your vocation, you do it and live it in a way that hopefully leads you to sanctity. We call this in the Byzantine Church, the word for this is called theosis, which, of course, is a name for our CD, our choir CD that you hear on our program, theosis or divinization. It means the ongoing growth into becoming fully human, more and more like God. We're all called to this process, and that's what we call becoming human. 
for becoming a saint. And today we celebrate all the saints that ever lived from Adam to the present and hopefully look for many, many more the days go on in the future. But we also have uh, some events coming up that I'd like to talk to you about. And Katie's going to explain something, a really great event at our parish here. It's our Prairie Fest, which happens Friday, August 12th this year to Sunday, August 14th. And tell the listeners, Katie, why they all need to be at this Prairie Fest. All right, Father Tom. Well, we have a lot of great things planned. In addition to uh, the live music and the food and the children's games and the bake sales, we're going to have a raffle where you can win great prizes, including $5,000. And like I said, we have a lot of really great music and we have a lot of events this year that are new that we're trying out. Friday night, we have the Tinley Park Arts Alive Jazz Band. Saturday morning, we're going to have a 5K run, which is something new that we're really excited <laughs> to try out. So hopefully we can get people from the community to come out, check us out, participate in the run, and then come back later in the day. There's a band coming from U of I, a bunch of guys that I know, and they're young guys like me, but they have really, really great taste in music. They play things like Elton John, Billy Joel, mm. um, Queen. The Beatles, I mean, oh, you name oh. it, they can play it. And they're mm. a lot of fun to listen to. They're really great. Saturday afternoon, we have a beanbag tournament. Mm. After that, we have a trivia contest where you can win prizes and show off your trivia knowledge and how smart you are about <laughs> various categories. Um, Saturday night, I think, is one of our headlining events. We have the Neverly Brothers. Oh, yeah. And for the people who were at Prairie Fest last year, they know how much fun they were to watch. They mm -hmm. put on a great show. Once again, great music. So Saturday is a really fun day. And then Sunday, we have Eddie Blazonczyk's Versatone Polka Band in their farewell tour. Farewell tour, that's yeah, right. Yeah, so everyone who loves to polka, like me, needs to come out, <laughs> put on your dancing shoes for a great time. And then we round things off Sunday night with the Harvest Moon Band, who are another group of really fun guys who just play really great music that's fun to sing along to, fun to just mellow out too so yeah that's like uh, kind of like they call it american roots right yeah mm -hmm. music and they are harvest moon is the official sound of our prairie, of prairie fest, fest right so they're there every mm -hmm. year and along with the other great remember now these are all live bands that kate yep. was talking about it's live where else can you get live music like this with no cover charge which asks you just come along and uh, mm -hmm. well spend a little of your money on the food yeah the enjoy the food good ethnic food um bake sales we have really great bakers at our church don't we father yeah, tom absolutely some of the so, best <laughs> mm -hmm. so once again we would really like to see everyone who can come out to prairie fest it's friday august 12th saturday august 13th and sunday august 14th here at annunciation of the mother of god byzantine catholic parish 14610 wilcook road in homer Glen, illinois and for more information go to our website byzantinecatholic.com that's byzantinecatholic.com now, there's one more event coming up, and it's next week, and that is happening in Parma, Ohio, at our cathedral, which is in the Cleveland area, and it's concluding this year of the Initiative for Marriage. The Catholic bishops have been focusing on, on marriage, trying to support that and show that marriage is a good thing in light of its, all the attack upon marriage and family in our world today, which, of course, is no secret. And the bishops have come very strong in a very, very impressive program all year long called the Marriage Initiative. And we've had our own Byzantine version of that, which I was involved in. And it's going to come to its culmination in a big celebration at our cathedral center in Parma, which is going to be held Saturday, June 25th to Sunday, June 26th. Again, this is the Cathedral of St. John the Baptist in Parma, Ohio, on the corner of Snow and Broadview Roads. There's going to be all kinds of activities, not only prayer, but all kinds of food. There's going to be some uh, like a kind of a demonstration of a ethnic wedding, a traditional wedding, traditional wedding reception. There's going to be things for children. It's just going to be a great, great time to come together and celebrate marriage and celebrate uh, fellowship together. 
And again, more information on that, just go to parma.org. That's parma.org. It's called the Festival of Hope. Festival of Hope 2011. Love and Life and Divine Plan. Saturday, June 25th to Sunday, June 26th at the Cathedral in Parma, Ohio. Again, go to parma.org. So a couple of very significant events. They really are enjoyable. Now, back to our saints today on this Sunday of All Saints Day. I'm proud to say that in my particular church, the Byzantine Catholic Ruthenian Church, well, we have many saints, but some are now finally being recognized, and they have reached the level we call beatitude, or beatification, rather, just like John Paul II. He is now beatified. So now we have saints in the Byzantine Church who are beatified, and among them are three bishops who suffered under communism, Bishop Romja, Bishop Goidich, and Bishop Hopko. Now, there were also nuns and priests and later who suffered as well. We consider them to be saints, too. But these were now finally recognized by John Paul II, one of which in particular, this is Bishop Goidich, was even recognized by the Israelis. In fact, there's really a Holocaust Museum a few years ago, which is back in 2008, honored our Byzantine Catholic bishop, Bishop Goidich, and they called him, this was the Yad Vashem Holocaust Memorial in Jerusalem, called this bishop, our Byzantine bishop, the righteous among the nations. Righteous among the nations. That's because this bishop, Paul Goidich, a Byzantine Catholic Ruthenian bishop, had a lot to do with saving the lives of Jewish people. And so the Jewish people have, in fact, honored him. So we're very, very proud of that, especially in light of the fact that oftentimes you hear that the Catholic Church didn't do enough for the Jewish victims of the Holocaust, or they were cooperating with the Nazis, and all kinds of things like that. But here we have an example, proud to say from my own church, our own church, Katie, one of our own bishops, recognized by the Jewish people themselves as being righteous, that he helped them. So, again, another example of a saint, a man being who he's supposed to be. And that, of course, is our definition of of sanctity. Now, when we talk about Byzantine saints, sometimes I'm asked, do we have the same saints as the Roman Catholic Church? Well, the answer is yes and no. We have many of the same saints on our calendar, but most of the saints that we have on our calendar are our own saints, as it were. In other words, they're not necessarily saints that would be on the same calendar as our Latin Rite brethren have. Now, this does not mean that we don't recognize each other's saints. I mean, a saint is a saint. It just happens to be where the saint lived, where they developed. If there were saints that lived in the areas where the Eastern churches were predominant, then those names got on the Eastern calendars. If there were saints that lived in an area that was predominant in Roman Catholic regions, then, of course, their names became enrolled in the liturgy and prayer of the Latin Rite Church. We do share some of them, for instance, such as St. Augustine, St. Nicholas. There's a number of them that we do share together. We even have a Byzantine, you know, Katie, we actually have a Byzantine St. Patrick. Do we really? Yeah, and he's not the same St. Patrick as hmm. the one in Ireland, but there is actually a Byzantine Bishop Saint, a Byzantine St. Patrick. Now, there's an interesting story about that, actually. There are some Byzantines who believe that the real St. Patrick was a Byzantine. And here's, how they, here's why, why, how they explain it. They say that the word Patrick was never an, a, a name in Ireland or England, that it actually was a variation of the word patriarch. Patrick, patriarch. And they claim the story goes this, that they think... The patriarch of, of Constantinople, what at the time many point to was St. John Chrysostom in the 4th century, sent a missionary to Ireland, in England, that area. And so when he came there, the people there said, oh, this is the one sent by the patriarch. That's how they started to refer to him. So, and that got reduced then to what we know today as Patrick. There was actually a play on the word, the one sent by the patriarch, Patrick. So anyway, that's one little spin that Byzantines have on the 
the St. Patrick everybody knows about, but we also do have our own separate St. Patrick. So we do share some of the same saints, but at the same time we have our own saints on our respective calendars as well, depending on where they where they developed, where they grew up, of course. In Eastern Lung of the Church, we have saints that came from the Eastern countries, the Middle East and Central Europe and Russia, the Far East and so on. But when it comes to proclaiming somebody a saint, for those who are proclaimed or have a prominence and end up on the liturgical calendar, generally in the East, the process is a little bit more simple than in the West. The West requires a rather long process sometimes. There's really ones that requires three miracles, three documented miracles that came from the intercession of that particular saint. In the East, saints tend to be proclaimed a saint just if the church or the people by and large proclaim that. That's They have a process, but it's not quite as complex as the West. But whether East or West, a saint is a saint. And we pray to them, for them, with them, as they intercede for us, and we all aspire to be like them, to become normal human beings. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loyer here with Kenny Gulas on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois 60491. That's Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years.